It's football and other F words, and we are live. Brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages. I'm Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F words pod. You can go to stackingtheinbox.com and subscribe for $4 a month. And, or you can subscribe for $61 for the year and get some breakdowns from Stoney and get his big board. Stoney Keeley has joined stackingtheinbox.com. And then we got Mike over at Mike Herndon NFL on Twitter, podcast.com, where he, you can get all of his written work. And today, we we're, I'm calling it the philosophy episode, maybe a couple of Aristotles in the building, because we're just talking about in, NFL and Titans philosophies. Uh, just an overarching discussion uh, among all, the, all kinds of different things that popped up on Twitter uh, over the last few days. And of course, what was said at the Titans press conference that we didn't get to in last week's episode with all the players talking about offensive philosophy. And of course, the Mike has an article out today at podcast.com talking about some of that stuff and about the philosophy. So you need to go read that every Wednesday. He has an article. Um, Bluegrass beverages, our sponsor, Hendersonville, Tennessee, the best liquor store. It's award winning. It's got a championship to its name. Unlike the Tennessee Titans. So it's an award winning liquor store. Definitely go over there and get all your liquor from bluegrass beverages. It's been a hectic week for both of us. So we're a little, we're running on fumes, but we're going to, we're going to overcome everything. Mike, uh, I think the first question out of the gate, when you go to the Kaharski family reunion, is it three-legged races or cornhole tournaments? Um, I mean, cornhole tournaments definitely the way to go. Uh, three, three-legged race is just, I mean, that's for a man with a torn ACL and a long stride is just, that's a disaster waiting to happen. The, uh, I mean, that's the, the big thing that everybody's now noticed and caught on is that since you've joined the paulkarski.com, you've slowly devolved into Paul Kaharski darkness. Like, everything sucks. Nothing is nice. Nothing is good. It can't even be mediocre for you. Everything just stinks. I am surprised that you haven't started policing Twitter you know, all the other media analysts and making sure they have their location on when they send a tweet. That's how bad it's gotten. But the, here's the thing. It's it's the same as I've always ever been. Oh, no, you were the it, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, but here, hang on just a second. I've always given my honest opinion about the team, always. And when I was giving my honest opinion about the team for the last few years, it's, they, they were really good. They were a really good football team because they were. They were winning a bunch of games. They were playing really well, and before those seasons, I was telling people they were going to play really well. They're going to win the division, all that stuff. Now I don't think that. I don't. I don't think they're a good football team right now. I think they're going to struggle. I think this is going to be a bad year. And I'm just being honest. And that's the only thing that's changed. It's not because I'm working with Paul or whatever. I worked with Paul last year, and I was uh, a lot more optimistic at the beginning of last year than I am now. It's just it's just been very funny seeing all the tweets under your replies calling you PK Jr. At the same time that we've done two like dark, you're in the darkness abyss episodes because obviously there there's just maybe it's coincidence. I don't know, but it, it seems like a uh, it seems like it's it's they kind of go hand in hand. They're related to each other. No, no, I'm a, I am my own man. I I don't need to borrow PK's uh, philosophies or opinions. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Uh, you were wrong last year about being optimistic about the Titans, and you'll probably be wrong this year about being negative about the Titans. And I'll just <laughs> always continue to be always right. Um, so the t- we didn't get to really dive into the Titans press conference stuff, and I don't want to do- spend too much into it, as uh, much time into it, because it's kind of been covered and everything. But I do want to hear your overarching philosophy takeaways from this team and I want to know do you think Aaron Brewer is 290 pounds or heavier so let's start with that then talk about the Titans philosophies um I do yeah I I buy that Brewer's 290 because didn't he say he was 290 last year I mean that's around where he played last year right you know he was listening to bigger this this go around more muscular he looks he looks a little bit rocked up. I mean, he, he looked uh he looked like he put on some muscle for sure. Maybe And maybe muscle weighs more converted. than fat, right? Like there's a yeah. muscle like ten pounds to like five yeah, pounds fat. It's, it's denser, uh denser material. So dis- denser tissue, I guess you should say. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I believe he's heavier, uh, or in that 290 range. I, I think that's probably about right. He probably just converted some bad weight to good weight, which is good. He needed to improve his play strength, and he looks like a guy that maybe he did. But it won't help him because he sucks, and the whole offensive line sucks. But we'll get to that later. What were you, some of your takeaways from the the press conference? Like, give me your one big, like, wow moment, or like, hmm, that's interesting. The biggest wow moment to me was definitely that all of them basically saying that the offense was totally different. Because I, I honestly, I mean, we've we've had... Rabel here since 2018 now. So this is going into his what sixth season with the Titans. Um this, they've had the same offense the whole time. I mean, Matt LaFleur installed it. Uh Arthur Smith put his own spin on it. Todd Downing put his own spin on it. But it was fundamentally it was, the it was, same it, offense. It was the kind of spin like the you know how Australia has the toilet flow in the opposite direction than what it does here in America. That's kind of what it was for Todd Downing. That was his spin. It went it went counterclockwise. Exactly. I mean, I mean, look, and that's that's, I guess, at the end of the day, part of the point, you know, that offenses aren't necessarily like schemes aren't necessarily good or bad. It's all about how they are implemented and how they are run and called and taught and all that other good stuff. So clearly we've seen both the good and the bad with the, the previous scheme. But it sounds to me like there's like a full scale like uh, Tannehill said terminology. Uh, change twice. Um, huge, big. I mean, those he, were the words that he used. Yeah, big he said huge. huge change. Um, and, and he mentioned different concepts, new concepts, new routes. Uh, so it's, to me, it sounds like Tim Kelly is going to be installing something similar to what they ran in Houston, uh, what he came from, which ultimately goes back to like the Bill Belichick uh, Earhart Perkins style of offense, which oh Earhart Perkins, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I, no, mean, that, like, that, I know, but that's just you never hear that name. Like it's just like that's just a name out of left field that like everybody's probably like, who the fuck is Earhart Perkins? Well, I mean, it's a branch of offensive system, but basically, what the one of the biggest things that differentiates offensive systems isn't necessarily the concepts because a lot of the times there's co- versions of each concept in each offense, like the. I think offenses were more distinct and now they've all kind of turned into like this big puddle of like, you know, they've, they've all got similar, they all borrow from each other. Right. So you're not going to have like a pure version of anything, but um, Earhart Perkins, the thing that differentiates it and the thing that I think Tanny was talking about with terminology is where a West coast offense, like a Shanahan McVay type offense, they are known for having extremely wordy play calls, right? So they, their play call is going to be like maybe 10 to 15 words long and it'll have tags on it with different routes for different, you know, players. So, you know, it's, it's just a lot to communicate. Earhart Perkins is a lot simpler from a communication standpoint because it's concept based. So instead of like individual routes, it's concept. So like, uh, you know, an out and a post go together and that it has a specific name and it's, it'll be like, you know, cat or whatever um, that will have a specific name. And that is a concept that goes together. So one of the things that Tom Brady has always done uh, in this offense, when he was running it in new England was they were use they use tempo a lot. And this was another word that came up in the, the Tannehill part of the press conference, as well as Chig talked about it. Uh, and I think Brewer did as well. Mm-hmm. They all mentioned tempo. So that leads me to this as well, because I, I, I just think they're installing this offense that basically is the Patriots style offense. Um, you're going to see a lot more shotgun. You're going to see a lot more tempo. Uh, and the fact is they're able to communicate better while running tempo because they're calling out, you know, they can use one word and tell two receivers what to do. One, another word tells two other receivers what to do instead of this 15 word long thing that they're trying to communicate while they're in a hurry at the line of scrimmage in a loud environment in you know, Baltimore or wherever, um, you know, it's a lot easier to run tempo when you've got shorter play calls and shorter shorthand versions of communication. So to me, that's what this sounds like. Now that, that may be me reading too much into it, but that sure is to me, what makes sense based on the words that were used in that press conference and and what we know about Tim Kelly and his background. 
Right. I mean, I wrote about it at stackingtheinbox.com talking about the pace of play and per play and how the Tennessee Titans ranked dead last. Yeah, the last almost, I mean, not slow. dead last, but they were super, super slow. They might as well have been dead last yeah. compared to what Tim Kelly ran. Tim Kelly was typically in the 15 to 12, you know, fastest offenses. And uh, Arthur Smith, when he had a full season of Ryan Tannehill, was fourth. They were fourth. So, I mean, that, that man, that 2020 offense, when you really go back and look at all the different stats that pop up, it's just fucking fantastic. Uh, more more love needs to be shown to that 2020 Titans offense league-wide. league, league wide. Like, you know, historians need to talk about oh, that. It's an, it was incredible. Uh, but, yeah, Kelly's also going to be, like I said, more shotgun. Like, I think he was like 65 to 75% shotgun, whereas the Titans have been about 50-50 under center. Uh, the last few years. Um, Hopefully think, he increases play action because, I mean, Todd Downing let play action well, just fall to the wayside last year. And that's one thing, you know, Kelly wasn't as big on play action in Houston. Um, so I'm not sure if that, that'll that They also didn't have a running his, back. Well, like, that's true, too. That's true, too. And I guess when I looked back, when I wrote for Broadway Sports Media, like, what do you expect from Tim Kelly? It was like, you would get you were going to get a slight bump from maybe play action from what Todd Downing did in 2021. The problem is that Todd Downing did nothing in 2022 in terms of play action, which is the stupidest the thing that you could do for Ryan Tannehill. Well, he, like, he threw out the good parts of the what the offense has going for it, basically. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's it just didn't make any sense. But I think I think Kelly, I think you'll see a very different style offense overall. Um, rookie mini camp is coming up this week. Is there any kind of takeaways? Uh, are you going to rookie mini camp? I'm, I'm not going I'm not. because I'm at a barbecue contest this weekend. Uh, but what? I mean, like, I, I look at here's what I look at the the rookie mini camp is that it doesn't feel like the Titans have enough players to run a rookie mini camp with like eleven on eleven drills. Because if you look at the other teams, there are like teams that have like including because you bring in your UDFA's your rookies that you drafted and tryout players. Yeah. We well, haven't really heard a lot of UDFAs to tryout players, but like I looked at the chiefs today cause I was trying to figure out, cause I felt like there was another category of players that I'm missing in that. And I was trying to figure out who all could come. They and also Kansas will bring City back like 50, some. Yeah. Kansas city has 51 people coming to their rookie. Yeah. Camp. yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll bring, uh, you know, probably like Reggie Roberson will be there. Um, I would imagine, you know, um, who is the other, uh, Mason Kinsey should probably be there. Like guys that were on the practice squad or, or did not, I think it's, it's, I, you're not required to come, but you can come. And it's generally, you know, a good thing to be able to get some additional reps in and things like that for these guys. So younger guys that are not necessarily, you know, established on the team or haven't made a lot of appearances on active game squads. I, I think you'll see a bunch of those guys show up like, you know, uh, Sam O, you know, the edge rusher, you know, probably some of those guys will be around too. I mean, what, what can we take away from this week that, I mean, it's really nothing, right? Like there's no, really nothing from nothing rookie big. camp that's going to be big. I, I mean, I, I won't pretend like I'm not excited to see Will Levis, uh, you know what he looks like short, throwing the football. Oh, short, I mean, he's oh. probably gonna. I mean, he's he's gonna <laughs> fill out. He's gonna fill out a uh, a rookie minicamp outfit for sure. And uh, and look, he's gonna probably look great throwing the football in in shorts and and with you know no defense and stuff like that. So, um, I, look, I'll be excited to see him what he looks like throwing the football. You know that kind of thing. That's about all. I mean, hey, look, they, you know, they didn't take guys yeah. that you would be super like. The clips of the wide receivers, like we'll see what Colton Dowell looks like with some of those. I mean, that's that usually is the biggest, like that's the the hottest part of any NFL practice. It's really like the one on ones between the the wide receivers and the corners because that's where you actually see like the most like game like reps you see on in those. So, um, and it's also a pretty clear binary like one loss uh, kind of deal uh, on those plays. So. That's Sonny about says, it. who has ever parlayed a strong rookie minicamp into a good training camp? And I would say Kyle Phillips said it easily. Like he, you talk about mm -hmm. the guy that had the best offseason that translated from rookie minicamp to training camp to preseason to game one. Yeah. 
Kyle Phillips hit all those. He boxes. had all the buzz. Yeah. Yeah. He had all the buzz, uh, but that would be probably the only guy that I could truly remember. Um, Mike, are you upset that Skaronsky is picked at 1.11 and is being, according to Justin Mello and his sources, being penciled in as a guard? No. Does that upset you at all? Because that seems to be the thing, like, everybody can't believe that he's a guard, and I'm like, well, did you not pay attention to anything going on in the offseason about Skaronsky? Right. I, I, I always thought he was a guard. I thought he was a guard from the very start. And when they selected him, I considered him a guard. Um, I'm shocked that anyone is surprised that they're going to play him at guard. I think that's the natural spot for him. I think that's where he's going to reach his highest ceiling. Like, I, could he be the maybe 10 to 15th best left tackle in the NFL and be perfectly serviceable over there? Sure, probably so. I, I bet he could probably be that. I bet he can be Zach Martin, like perennial all pro as a guard. So would you rather have an all pro guard or a meh tackle? Um, Because, you know, I think ultimately you want to put him in the best spot for him to succeed. Because aren't you like, if you put Andre Dillard at guard, aren't you getting like a meh tackle and a meh guard instead of a meh tackle and an all pro guard? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And, and look, I don't think it's going to happen right away. I, like I, I, I think Skaronsky is as pro ready as they come. It still is tough to be a rookie guard and a rookie offensive lineman in the NFL. It's really hard. There's some big time examples of guys struggling coming into the league. Okay, so nothing really going on about rookie minicamp that we're really excited about. Uh, so let's let's talk about the schedule release. Um, you know that's coming up this week. I mean. Here's where I'm at on the schedule release. I'm here for whatever the Chargers do, social their social media team does. What, that's what all did I they care do about. last year? Because I know the anime. The anime. I've watched that video. I've watched that video like thirty thousand times. Like I watched it literally last <laughs> week, just because I was. I just like the video. It's just a funny video. Yeah. Um, I do love all the videos. I, I, I will Except watch the Titans, probably The Titans did not video. do a good video last year. In fact, I don't even think they did it. Like an, they did a trailer for the video. Because they were looking, they were doing like local businesses or something, but they never really released a actual video. Oh, it was weird. It was okay. like they did a. Right. It, it was weird. Yeah. Um, and it, you know those jersey swaps they did today. Woof. Oh, tough. those were I've seen. I've seen for them. Um, so the Ravens playing the Titans up in London. Uh, going to be a great game, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um. Yeah. Come it's on, gonna be a great game. Uh, the the media is like, oh, I can't believe that they're taking away a game from them. Oh. And I'm thinking, well, all that's going to happen is if that game would have been played, you'd have had like, you know, six to one or ten to one Ravens and Titans fans. Like, just give me a break. But it's an important discussion topic, the schedule release, because when will the bye week be? Because they get to choose, if I'm not mistaken, between having one right after the London game or maybe gambling to get one later in the year. How many primetime games do they get? What's what's their schedule look like leading into this uh, London trip? Because do they get maybe a play a Thursday game, then go to London? Um, you know, stuff like that. So that stuff matters. Other than that, we've known the opponents and all that so there's like no real true surprise anymore for the because now everybody knows how to calculate who's playing who just you're trying to figure out when yeah um i i do like the schedule release stuff because i enjoy knowing kind of the order of things and when certain trips are going to be because i i uh i do want to go to a road game this year i i talked about doing it last year didn't end up going um you know honestly with the with my expectations being so low for this team this year, going to a game and not having any expectation that they're going to win it honestly takes some of the pressure out of uh, you know the road trip because I feel like if the team is playing for something huge you know and they lose it's going to ruin my whole trip. Whereas if I went to Miami to go see them play the Dolphins and they got smoked by Tua and uh, Waddle and Hill and everybody and I'd just be like, fine, I'm just going to go get drunk on South Beach. I don't care. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see that, interested to try to plan a road trip. Um, and, 
it, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool to see, like, where does the buy fall? Obviously, the Titans will have an automatic buy after London if they choose to have one. So they could choose to have week seven. My guess is they're not going to choose to do that because Vrabel has seemed to prefer later season buys. Um, so he might roll the dice and try to get one, you know, closer to week nine or ten, uh, kind of split the season in half. But, um yeah, I don't. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. What? What are you? Do you get excited about it at all? No. 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 Right. It's. It's just not my. It's not my thing. Like it's. It's like people who obsess over jersey numbers and how they look and the font and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just. It's just not my thing. I. I. I can't. I'm. I can't. I obsess over so much about other things that matter in football. I can't obsess over the. Oh, what's the schedule gonna look like? And oh. What's the what's the what jersey numbers are the I mean, rookies gonna pick? Who? Wow, I'm, Will Levis chose eight. Who gives a flying fuck? Oh, I, Ty J Spears <laughs> has thirty two. Oh, that's a weird number for a small running back. Like who? I, like I, don't, I don't. I don't like the Ty J Spears pick thirty two because it reminds me of Darrington Evans, uh, and I have bad memories from that. And then but he uh, didn't have thirty two, did he? Didn't he? I, I'm pretty sure. Well, it. Uh, who knows because we barely saw him on the field but i thought he had 32 for some reason um and then uh oh, he did know, have 32 but i think true i think levis ends up with seven before uh before he plays a real nfl football well, game. good for him but um, who really gives a shit like we've already <laughs> talked too much about this okay so i do there is a question but this kind of goes into my i drink to that so bluegrass beverages our sponsor we like to do a segment where we give out something positive and we we say we drink to that. Uh, I'm drinking water right now. I just got in from the store, so I didn't have time to you know pour me anything, and I had to let the dogs out. So, but my I'll drink to that is the Jags playing back to back weeks in London is gonna have their internal clock so fucked up, and I am so happy that not only are the Jags the first team to go back-to-back, but they're only a few games away from being from moving to London. So might as well just go ahead and move the franchise to London because, I mean, like what? You only need like six more games, you know, to be up in London. I mean, two's already there. I look at it as this is a huge disadvantage for the Jaguars, and that makes me happy, so I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that as well. And and look, Jacksonville has had one, or the Jaguars have had one foot out of Jacksonville for a while now. The smoke continues to build around this idea that, that Goodell wants to have a full division in Europe at some point in the next five years or so. Jacksonville's 100% going to be one of those teams. Um, and whether the rest of them are expansion or whatever, we'll see. But um, yeah, Jacksonville... Enjoy your team now because you're going to be watching them uh, from across the pond here pretty soon. Um, my my, I'll drink to that this week is uh, is going to be uh, lawn related. Um, oh, I uh, am am getting back into taking care of my lawn for the first time in like really three years because basically having a baby it just it becomes non. Like it's an afterthought. Like you're not, that's not your first concern. As long as the grass isn't like growing up above the, the dogs when they go outside, I'm not that worried about it. But now I'm starting to get a little bit of time back for my weekends or I can have, you know, Dom help me out with it. And so I'm getting back to uh, getting rid of the weeds, getting some grass growing again. The yard's starting to look better. So uh, lawn care is my. <laughs> I like it. I'll drink to that. Our, our, we put a sprinkler system in last year. And where they dug up is starting to get some grass growing back through. So looking good right there. Um, okay, so we hit the schedule release. We've talked about that. Um, Mike, why do you think the Titans um, forced Malik Willis out to play in 2022 when he obviously wasn't ready? And do you think that set they sabotaged him? Oh my gosh. This this is the most ridiculous narrative I've seen in quite some time because this whole thing about 
Well, he wasn't supposed to play last year, and they they put him out there like it was their choice first because Tannehill got hurt. That's the only reason Willis ever went in the game. And can you imagine the fucking shitstorm that would have happened if they had kept Logan Woodside not only on the roster all season, but then played him over Willis in a real game? People would have lost their fucking minds. They would have said, oh my God, the Titans, you know, what what are they doing? What a waste of time. Get Willis some reps, all this shit. Complete, complete hypocrisy from anyone saying that the Titans made a bad move by playing him last year. Get the fuck out of here. What a stupid fucking take. What do you think about this egotistical quarterback coach that he's hired, Sean McAvoy? Because I just find this guy to be the most a wholly unlikable guy. And the stuff that he says and comes out in and in the media and says is just it, it just feels like uh I don't know if hypocrisy is the right word, but it just feels like he has a he has no self-awareness and he thinks that all of his all of his uh students they come to his quarterback school, their shit don't stink. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate him going to bat for his boy, but th- there were some quotes in uh, in this article that was on the, the Tennessee and that I commented on and he got mad about. Oh, he, um, he really got mad. Uh, was that uh, it read to me an awful lot like he was saying, well, Vrabel is asking him to do all this stuff that, you know, he shouldn't be asked to do what he seems to, to have clarified. And I, you know, he got mad about me saying that Um, he seems to have clarified that he was saying that Malik has had a lot to learn and is working to learn how to play at an NFL level and everything like that, which is what he should be saying because that is what Malik does need. But a lot of those quotes, like the ones about, you know, Hugh Freeze would have, you know, been applauding that play and uh, the griping about benching him in the preseason because he made that scramble run or whatever. Look, I I can't tell you this for certain, but I would be hard pressed to believe that Vrabel just out of nowhere benched him because of that scramble. I guarantee you this was something they'd been talking about and talking about and talking about with him and telling him don't run, don't run, we don't want you to run, we know that you can run, run the offense, run the offense, throw the ball, give our receivers a chance, this is preseason. And I, I did the report come out after the that game that he had told him at halftime, if it happens again, you're sitting down, and then it happened again, he sat him down. It's like, a, it's like you know, I, I'm not trying to compare Malik Willis to my toddler, but if you don't make your threats worth anything they're never going to listen to you like I mean that's what it comes down to and in coaching you have to be able to stand up to what whatever you say so like if he said look I'm pulling you if you aren't going to throw the football and then he goes out there and he's not throwing a football he should have pulled him yes he should have like I, I don't care whatever else like he needed more reps or whatever he apparently needed a lot more reps so getting five more reps in this preseason game was not going to make a material difference in the outcome of Malik Willis's season or career or anything else like that. You you build skyscrapers, so I think you'll appreciate this reference. <laughs> uh, I, I Tomorrow at stackinginbox.com, I have an article about the Malik Willis conundrum. Like, what, what do you do with Malik Willis? What's the likely scenario? What's the best case scenario? And it, I, in the midst of writing this and talking about Hugh Freeze's offense and thinking back on the games that I watched at Liberty, and the problems that he had in this offense. And, you know, I said that he needed to be the philosophy changer. You don't need to force him into this offense. But at the end of the day, I think we all kind of thought that, like, okay, Malik Wilson's athleticism, his cannon of an arm, okay, he's going to start off working on the 10th floor of a 40-floor skyscraper, okay? But in reality, this offense didn't prepare him at all for the NFL. And so he started off a lot lower than I think his, I felt like his starting point in the NFL was a lot lower than what anybody really expected because of what we saw on compared to film compared to what translated at camp and all the way through. 
And so I, it's almost like he's starting off on the boiler room in the sub-basement of a 500-floor skyscraper, which means that if you're starting that low, okay, your, your, your point is that low, your ceiling for growth lowers as well. And I feel like I, I feel like at this point, because I, I view things, and I know this is not how you, you personally like to do ceilings and floors, but I view it in a very realistic scenario. Anybody can be anybody if you just throw a ceiling out there. I mean, like Malik Willis could still be Josh Allen, right? But like realistically at this point, I feel like his ceiling is now much lower than what we all expected last year. And and maybe that's because we didn't we didn't give enough credence to the mess that was the offensive system that Hugh Freeze installed at Liberty. Because everybody's like, well, he's got he's got a bad offensive line here, at Tennessee. He doesn't have any playmakers or wide receiver. He didn't have any of that stuff at Liberty. He had a poor offensive line at Liberty. He had a poor uh, pass catching weapons at Liberty. The difference is, is that he was playing against teams that were worse than Liberty. He was by far in his division, his conference, the best football player. But that's not saying anything. And that does not translate to the NFL where everybody is essentially, uh, I don't know, 100 times better than the best Liberty player at this point. Yeah, I think that that's part of the problem. And, And look, I would say... His ceiling's a little bit lower than I would have than I thought before last season from the standpoint of I don't think he's actually as good a runner as I thought he was going to be. Like I, I thought he was going to enter the NFL as like one of the two or three best running quarterbacks in the NFL and like a real threat um as a runner. I think he's a good runner, but I he's not exceptional. Like he's not like he's closer to Jalen Hurts than he is to um Lamar Jackson he's closer and he to, really ain't that close to Jalen Hurts yeah he's not as good <laughs> as Jalen Hurts um he's not as good as Josh Allen um you know there are you know he's probably maybe in the top 10 uh among running quarterbacks I don't know um, now that you've added like Anthony Richardson you have Will Levis who is a is a underrated runner I, I mean, think that's gonna I, be the thing too yeah like Tannehill's a better runner than Malik Willis it feels like maybe mm. he's a smarter runner and maybe not as athletic but like I don't know I mean like Tannehill used to be a wide receiver I don't know if you knew that or not uh that is first I've heard of that um recalibrating now but uh Tannehill, I do think he's Tannehill might be faster than Willis, um, but I don't think he's as good a runner. If Tannehill's got no elusiveness whatsoever, um, whereas Willis definitely does have some, and, and he's got some strength and, and stuff like that to be able to break tackles. But but people keep uh, I've seen this mentioned a few times in on Twitter. People asking about you know well, could they still use Willis as like the Taysom Hill role or is like a wildcat quarterback. And I keep going, I don't, Levis is, is such a good runner. I mean, that you're not going to take him out to put Willis in the game to run, unless you're just saying, I just want to take a few hits off Will Levis. Like that's the only way that makes sense to not to play the game for Willis. I, I just don't see, and look, Willis was terrible in wildcat situations last year. So I, or in those like gimmick play situations last year. So I'm not sure that that's a great idea for how to use them. Well, we're going to go, we're going to, it's kind this is Malik Willis adjacent this next topic, because we're going to kind of talk about Desmond Ritter. We're going to kind of talk about um, franchise quarterbacks, but Kevin, uh, it was first, it was Josh, Justin, Josh Kendall of the athletic, we had a really good article about the Falcons about quarterback on the athletic.com. But Kevin Cole obviously quote tweeted that. And then he also talked about how the Falcons fans are coming at him. So let, let's, let's talk about a, f- a few things uh, in this. So let's start off with this. Cause this, this could almost be a Titans tweet that you wrote. Don't get the contingent of Falcons fans that think it's personal to say a third-round pick likely isn't their franchise quarterback answer. How could you reasonably say otherwise? I mean, that sounds like if you just took out Falcons and put in Titans, like that is exactly about Malik Willis. And uh, maybe the expect... And it goes into... That ties into this other tweet of Josh Kendall of what he wrote. 
and I think this is a good way to view quarterbacks in the NFL. It's a new way. It's not necessarily a new way, but it's a more uh, apt description or set of parameters for your quarterback situation if you're an NFL team. So this is very much a generalization, but if we assume that 20% of the quarterbacks in the league are difference makers and another 20% are not good, which is fair, then that leaves 60% of the league playing with a guy who is good enough in the right circumstances. You can waste a lot of time and energy trying to get a guy you think is in that first 20%, and teams such as the Falcons are probably thinking about getting off that train and seeing what they could do with a guy in the 60%. And I think the Falcons are that. They tried chasing for that 20% last year. They didn't chase that 20% this year. They have pretty much talked all year long, all offseason long, that they're building around Desmond Ritter. And I guess what? If Desmond Ritter fails and he's not good enough, they'll probably be in a good position to grab another quarterback because he's a third-round quarterback. And it's okay if your third-round quarterback does not pan out. But this ties so perfectly into the Tennessee Titans because they have a third-round quarterback that is, I you never say never, but he's never going to pay out to be a franchise quarterback. And today, duh, Ryan Tannehill is your week one starter as long as he's on the team. And Ryan Tannehill falls into that 60%. And that's something that we've said. That, and that's something that Vrabel and John Robinson have all preached. You have to be great around Ryan Tannehill. Now, they haven't done a good job being great around, around Ryan Tannehill. But that, he, that guy falls into the 60%. Easily. And this is a for really sure. good way to look at the Tennessee Titans going up for Will Levis, trying to get Will Levis in the first round and getting him in the second round. Because more than likely, with Ryan Tannehill still on this team, he saves a year, Will Levis does. There's a good chance he could be in that 20%. But damn it, if you got him in the 60%, that's still a good team. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, right? I mean, if if you look at the third round quarterbacks all time, right? Um, let's just go back and look through recent recent history. Here's here's your third round quarterback. Obviously, Hendon Hooker this year. Uh, last year was Malik Willis, uh, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral. Uh, the year before that, Kellen Mond and Davis Mills. Uh, the year before that, nobody. The year before that, it was Will Greer. Uh, before that, Mason Rudolph. Uh, Davis Webb, CJ Beathard, uh, Jacoby Brissett, Cody Kessler, Sean Mannion, our boy, uh, Garrett Grayson. Look, these are not guys that you expect to work out. Like, this is not like, okay, well, they drafted him in the third round. That's so the Panthers the already years. moved on from Matt Corral. They moved on from two third round quarterback picks within, let's see, when did they take Greer? They took him in 2019. Um, so within four years, they've moved on from two third round picks at quarterback. Um, and one of them after one year, basically. So it, it is not like a third round pick for a quarterback is a throwaway pick. Basically. I mean, that is a dart throw. Like you hope maybe you hit on Russell Wilson. You hope maybe you hit on Dak Prescott. Um, but it's not highly likely. Um, in fact, it's extremely unlikely that that's the case. So you're not sitting there holding a, a place open for this guy. Um, and so I, de I definitely don't blame the Titans for like Willis gets viewed differently, I think, because of all the buzz around him last year in the draft and the talk of like him going in the top 10 and, and all this other stuff that I think skews people's view of him relative to what the NFL clearly saw from him. Like the, the NFL told you what they thought of him by the draft. You know, so that that's, I think, skewed his perception and his, you know, the discussion around him specifically. But that 60% thing, I mean, ultimately, even if Will Levis only hits that 60%, which is, is I mean, that's a better chance than, than not that that's going to end up being where he lands relative to, like, superstardom. Like, it's there's a much better chance he falls in that 60% range than there is that he's one of the, like, five or six guys that truly elevate their franchise um, and at the NFL level, even if he lands there, having him on a rookie deal is a great, 
great thing for an NFL team. So if you can get to the somebody who has to get you into that 60% as a rookie or in their rookie deal is ideal. Um, or, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal. It's just the next best thing compared to having a superstar. Um, and so I think that's what the Falcons are going for with Ritter. I think they're hoping that Ritter can be Tannehill. Like, and look, people make fun of that for being a low bar, but if you had Tannehill for, you know, a million dollars a year versus $29 million a year makes a big difference about what you can surround him with. So um, I think that's what you look at for, for Levis potentially. And look, it's like Daniel Jones, right? I I feel like that may be a comp that uh, nobody's really made with Levis that I've seen, but I think I can see some of the same outlines there. Um, If he's Daniel Jones, it's not great. But it's also not a total waste of a pick, right? Um, now he needs Especially to get to be round. he needs to get to be twenty twenty two Daniel Jones quicker than what Daniel Jones got to. Um, but you could live with that. Now you don't want to pay him fifty million dollars a year like the <laughs> Giants did. Um, but for a million dollars a year, yeah, I, I, you could live with that and and build around him. Well, and and this kind of goes into the thing I talked about with Malik Willis, because you mentioned Hinden Hooker, we, we've talked about Malik Willis. They they kind of have that same thing going for them, a an offensive system that does not translate to the NFL. And I think for the future, everybody needs to keep in mind that exact fact because you saw wide receivers fall that were in the Tennessee system, and you saw now two quarterbacks fall in kind of like one read, shoot it deep. If it's not there, you know, do something, you know, then you got to go somewhere else. But like, it's it's not translatable. And so like the, you know, Hugh Freeze is uh, back in the SEC. You know, you got to, you got to pretty much say that anybody that goes there that's a recruit, don't overvalue them just because the stats look good. Like you, we got to start pumping the brakes on these, these players same thing with Joe Milton, who ever now I've seen tweets that Joe Milton can be just like Anthony Richardson. Like, what are we even no, doing here? Like, like now arm, arm strength wise, absolutely. I think he's got every bit the arm that Anthony Richardson does, maybe more. Um, Joe Milton, frankly, has like the strongest arm I think I've ever seen uh, from a college quarterback, but. Um, he is nowhere close to the runner or athlete that uh, that Anthony Richardson is. Milton is more of a plotter. I mean, he he has some ability to run, but he is not a quick twitch athlete um, from a, a running standpoint. So, and you know, in addition to the huge accuracy concerns and things like that. But um, yeah, that's crazy talk that that Milton is Anthony Richardson. I, yeah, it it was nuts, but it just it's just something to keep in mind because you know we go through sometimes we go through these evaluations and we're like, well, what did we miss? Or and then we kind of never circle back around to it. So it's just something I'm putting on the forefront of my mind is that we got to make sure that we start taking into account these Art Bryles esque you know offenses that the NFL is telling you we don't really believe in the talent that these guys have that can translate just easily. Now, doesn't mean they can't the NFL can't get things wrong. They could be totally wrong about Hendon Hooker. They could be totally wrong about Jalen Hyde and Cedric Tillman. I definitely think they're gonna be wrong about Cedric Tillman. But they were they were right about Malik Willis. So, you know, just something to keep in mind going forward. Um Warren Sharp put out a list of the most expensive wide receiver rooms in 2023. And I found this interesting because you you look at these teams the 49ers okay here's the the cow the there are one two uh one two i should have done this before three four five six seven eight nine there are nine nine playoff teams from last year that are below average. So un- they're 16th and lower in money spent on wide receivers. So I thought that was super interesting because then you, on the flip side, you look at the Cardinals, 53 million, 
Broncos, 43 million. Raiders, 43 million. Browns, 39 million. The Buccaneers were the first playoff team that I listed. Them and the Dolphins are right there at 39 and 38. And the Buccaneers weren't a real playoff team. Right. So, and you know, it's just, it's crazy that all this talk about the Tennessee Titans in their wide receiver room, when, now, it's a little misleading, right? Because you got the Vikings down here at 28, and they still have Justin Jefferson on their their rookie contract. Same yeah. thing with the Bengals that are there at the 16th. So, you know, they're, those guys are going to be going up. But you look at the team, like the Eagles, Right, they just spent a bunch of money on AJ Brown, and they're 21. The Giants went on a big spinning spree to surround pass catchers, and they're 22. Uh, the Chiefs, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes could just do wonders with anything, but I know that the Titans are way down here, just above the Packers, who spent less. Of course, the Packers just went on a big draft spree as well. But I'm just saying that just spending the most money. And we've talked about this on this this show when it talk, comes to free agency as a whole. But spending the most money does not equal success at the NFL. Yeah, and, and I will say, you know, some of this is manipulation. Like the Eagles won. Um, AJ Brown's cap hit this year is only eight point six million because of how the Eagles structured that contract, which is insane. Um, is he's scheduled to have a uh, $41 million cap hit in 2026, which he'll never see because he's got a base salary of $30 million that year, which um, that's just never going to happen. They'll either extend him or restructure him or do something different with that at that point, or probably cut him honestly. Um, So it's uh, that's a little bit of a, I mean, there's ways you can massage the money always with, with these contracts, of course. So some of that's mostly, but I think it definitely goes to show you that the value is in having young wide receivers on rookie contracts who are uber productive. Like that is where the sweet spot is. Like not to say you shouldn't pay your wide receivers. Um, Cause I, I think certain guys you should pay like certain guys are worth it. You know, Tyreek Hill did wonders for the Dolphins offense. Um, obviously AJ Brown did wonders for the Eagles offense, but paying guys just to pay guys isn't necessarily a good idea. And I, I think that's where, you know, while I, I think the Titans probably would have been better off with Corey Davis than with Julio Jones. I still think they probably made the right decision to not re-sign Corey Davis because I think history tells you you don't re-sign those types of guys. Like, you don't spend big money for a Corey Davis. Like, you spend big money for an elite, elite guy, and then otherwise you just go get young guys. Just go get young guys in, and they can can produce kind of what these middle-tier, you know, free agents can. And to be honest, I mean, the the only reason the Jets are keeping Corey Davis this year is because they're obviously in all-in mode. We're not going to take away any weapons away from this team. And, you know, $10 million this year, he'll be gone next year. But we don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to fucking do after this year. Yeah, and so we're keeping, yeah, we're keeping all the players that we can because we are making the push this year. And it makes sense. They have the cap space to do that. It's a ridiculous notion to pay a wide receiver three or wide receiver four the amount of money that they're paying them. I agree. But the big picture of it all is that they want to win this year. And Miko Hardman, I'd rather have Corey Davis than Miko Hardman, right? Like if Miko Hardman goes down or if one of these other guys goes down, like Randall Cobb is not a threat to Corey Davis. Randall Cobb is being signed. Because if Aaron Rodgers gets a Super Bowl, he wants his buddy to have one. Like, he wants his neighbor to have one. Like, if Randall Cobb is not going to be some, like, integral part of this offense, that so he's going to push Corey Davis around. But Corey Davis is like Alan Lazard insurance, right? It's yeah. expensive insurance. But if you're the, if you're the, if you're Aaron Rodgers, who just came back from Green Bay, where all they had was, like, nobody and now you're at the Jets and you have almost everybody that you could ask for, all different types of wide receivers of all different talents and all different skill sets. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that Aaron Rodgers says, you know, please keep Corey Davis here. Like, to me, that makes just makes complete sense. I I know the money does, and I know all Titans fans just were, like, clamoring for Corey Davis to come and play five games and get 300 yards. But, like, it makes sense from the Jets' standpoint point of view. 
Well, that that and you know that's why I also think like all the stuff about like Brandon Ayuk and stuff like that, like and and even like T Higgins, the, those teams aren't trading those guys. Like those teams were trying to win the Super Bowl, and and you're not going to trade away. Not every team has a John Robinson, guys. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't trade away your best players during your window where you're going for it. Um, you know, you do that when you're a team like the Cardinals, who absolutely should trade DeAndre Hopkins uh, in any way that they possibly can, um, even though it seems like maybe they're not going to, uh, which makes zero sense to me. Um, but a team like the Cardinals, who is going nowhere this year, everyone knows they're going nowhere this year, should be trying to trade him. Um, I think Denver's kind of an interesting one because they've got all those wide receivers. They just drafted Marvin Mims and, uh, you know, surely they're not going to keep Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. Uh, I think Tim, Tim Patrick's Patrick, the one that's Marvin that's, Mims. I think, I think everybody's setting themselves up with this whole situation over at the Broncos in that, like they're expecting like the got the odd man out with Mims is going to be like, you know, Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton when yeah. really it's probably going to be, you know, if they cut, if they cut Tim Patrick, you know, after June first, at any point, they save, they get three point two million in cap savings. I mean, and you're not really. I like Tim Patrick. I like Tim Patrick as an option over Josh Reynolds when they were both available at the same time. But it's not like you're really getting, you know, anything crazy. Like you're not losing anything if you cut Tim Patrick. But you know, trading away Cortland Sutton or trading away Jerry Judy does not seem to be of the utmost importance for them because they are wanting a ridiculous amount in return yeah. for those wide receivers. So on a first for Judy and a second for Sutton, which I mean, is crazy, crazy talk for both of those guys. I mean, a, to me it's like, that's okay, a good round or two too expensive for each of those guys. And listen, and it's both Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, their outs are after this year. So basically they're even if they keep both of them, they're playing on one-year contracts essentially because they both can be cut. I mean, essentially next year if they were to cut Cortland Sutton, they save 9.67 against the cap and only have a 7.6 dead cap. Like, you know, it makes sense why the, these teams are keeping wide receivers though. This is a passing league. I know Titans fans don't want to hear that because they look at their squad. It sucks. It stinks. And you want your team to be a passing league. But I, I go back to what this offensive philosophy seems to be. And I talked about how the cornerbacks and how the wide receivers, this wide receiver room, fares to the league average wide receiver. And I talked about their 10-yard split. I talk about the short shuttle and I talk about their uh, three cone because it sounds like this team wants to be quick and use leverage and this quick speed to outflank the defense. And I even put it up against all the, the average quarterback. This is a relatively quick off the line of scrimmage wide receiver core. And what that is going to do, because this is a pro-style spread kind of offense, think of how quick Wes Welker used to get open, right? Like, that's going to be your Kyle Phillips. Or, I guess, uh, Danny Amendola when Tim Kelly was over there. But it's all about getting to quick spots, your spots quickly. And you don't have to have, technically, some big deep speed threat, even though everybody keeps saying that we don't, but the Tennessee Titans do, it's Traylon Burks. That is your deep speed threat, and and he can be that. He had one of some of them. I mean, he can be that guy. He was one of the best vertical threats in college football when our right. And Arkansas. everybody's like, oh, we don't. The, everybody's like, oh, we don't have one in our wide receiver. I'm thinking, well, you it's, got Traylon Burks right there. It's it's because he doesn't run four three flat, you know, and everyone yeah. thinks it's just about running faster than the other guy. But there's so much more to it than that. And I think you saw that with when Burks beat Jair Alexander deep last year when he made those and other don't big catches the Giants down the player. field. Remember uh, that Giants player that yeah, tripped him up down yeah, the field? Yeah, he had him beat too. So I, I think I think Burks can be that guy for this offense because he's explosive off the line of scrimmage. And when you're explosive off the line of scrimmage, that matters just as much as your deep speed. It, when you're facing certain coverages. And 
I get to the point where it's like, look, this this offense is not going to change, right? This offense is not going to be four verticals every play. This offense is going to be get to your spot quicker than your defender, and if you get yards after the catch. And that's okay, and they have the guys that can do that. Would you like a better version of Nick Westbrook-Kinney? Yes, obviously. Everybody would love a better version of Nick Westbrook-Kinney. But Colton Dow could be that guy if you listen to the guys that have watched the tape. Lance Zierlein and Emory Hunt and the two games that I've watched and a couple of other people have chimed in since then. Like, he has technique to get to those spots, and it's that's really all it's about. Like, it's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts for this offense. Like, do you remember how maddening the Tom Brady Bill O'Brien offense was? Cause it's just like dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk, all the way down, yards after the catch, and all the way down. And it drove everybody nuts. And everybody said that Tom Brady didn't have a deep ball. He didn't have a good arm. They were hiding it. I mean, uh, there was a whole Barry McCockner. You know, would would every like short pass or swing pass or whatever, you know, he he would make a highlight reel of, of it. That's probably what this offense is going to be. And if that offense builds off play action, is that I I think that helps everybody. You you don't have to hold up your pass protections as long, which benefits the offensive line. Maybe I'm wrong in misreading this, but I. I think that's what the offense is going to be, and they have the players to utilize the offense because they all they're 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 quick off the line of scrimmage, and they're they all seem pretty smart. Yeah, I mean, I I can see them going that direction. Look, I I think the wide receiver room sucks. Um, now, look, I think there's a chance that they view Burks, and I I think they they should view Burks as a. a you know, realistic wide receiver one option that 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 could be and should be what his ceiling is. Um, so I, I think Burks is is a guy, but I kind of think they probably are higher on Kyle Phillips than what most people are. And look, it's hard for me to sit here. I feel today like I'm, and, I feel like I'm should be invited to the Kyle Phillips uh, family cookout. By the way, because yeah. like I there's been no bigger proponent of Kyle Phillips this offseason than like, me. It feels like. I think he's a really good player. I, I think it's fair to say, like, hey, I need to see him play more than a game before I'm comfortable penciling him in as the, the number two wide receiver in this offense. But I think that's probably what he's going to be. I, I think he is it's going to be Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips and then, you know, some mix Jig. of Westbrook Akina and and Moore and um whoever else. Uh but yeah, mostly Chig. It's going to be like those – it's going to be the three second-year guys, right? It's going to be Burks, Phillips, and Jig, and that that I think they're going to completely rely on those three virtually to carry the the receiving room, which could be okay if nobody gets hurt because they are like one mm. Traylon Burks hammy away from being like in a world of hurt as a receiver room. Um, but it's uh, – they're walking a very tight line here, but I, I think – they could be okay if those guys all take the next step and they stay healthy. Well, the good news is, is Mike, is that Mike Vrabel's plan is going to have a chance to come true because the New England Patriots just released Lynn Bowden. So that means that, you know, Mike Vrabel oh. said, you know, just got to wait for the cutdown days a couple weeks later, but here you go. Lynn Bowden, baby, coming to this wide receiver room. Uh, I, I feel like I get to this point where I know it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do to stop it. But do you think it starts at rookie mini camp or it starts at training camp? And I'm talking about the Colton Dow or uh, Jacob Copeland or Treshawn, the guy from Oregon State. I can't remember his last name. Is it Treshawn Harrison? Henderson. Henderson. Treshawn Henderson. Hype train. When do those take off? Do they take off at rookie mini camp, oh, or yeah. are they going to take off at training camp? I think so. I, I'll put my uh, I'll put my chips on the. I guess the there's Jacob. OTAs in between that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'll put my chips on Jacob Copeland as being that guy um, who takes off, and uh, it'll start right away. It'll start at rookie minicamp. He'll he'll have a few clips where he roasts some like D seven corner, um, and and everyone's just gonna fall in love, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be all downhill from there. He will he will quickly become you know uh, who is the guy from Deontay Burnett and hey, you know, hey. all these other. Superstar great Deontay Burnett. Oh, is he playing in the XFL? I think, yeah. I, I, I saw, I saw him on the XFL. list and I almost put his name out on the tweet because he hurt. Yeah. I had such high hopes for Deontay Burnett uh, when he came out, but yeah, he played in, he plays in the XFL now. That's funny. Um, But yeah, like I, I think people are already hyping themselves up for Jacob Copeland. I left off Kiaris Jackson, Kiaris Jackson, because I just, you know, I don't like Kiaris Jackson. I don't, I don't have any faith in him. <laughs> Um, yeah. I'm hoping for uh, Reggie Roberson uh, renaissance this year. That would be great because he's a deep threat, a potential deep threat. Like If you're he's looking for your line drive there. guys, it's Jacob Copeland and Colton Dow to a certain extent and Reggie Roberson. Like, those are your real true, I want someone that just can run a vertical and catch a pass. Because they ain't racing my math because he can't catch a pass. Like yeah. At this point, Des Fitzpatrick, so glad he's gone. I need Racy McMath off this team. And I, yeah. I, you know, I don't I, need him I like, unemployed. I, I like Racy. Someone else's team. I like Racy a little bit more than you. I, I, I still think there's some hope. I still, I do think there's like Racy McMath hope. Malik Willis no hope is where where you're at on the hope scale, which is know, a wild I, thing. I don't think I don't think Malik Willis is no hope. I just think I, I think it's very <laughs> low hope. Um, and and look, it's probably pretty low hope with with McMath too because he was still doing that thing where he has to slide to catch the ball uh, if it's more than like 20 yards downfield, which is always just a sure indicator of a guy who has zero confidence in his hands. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. He he did. I will say McMath did legitimately look good in training camp last year. So maybe there's another step coming. Who knows? Julio 2.0. Oh, um, I mean, there are. There, there these guys that we're talking about, this Racy McMath, Colton Dow, Jacob Copeland, um, Reggie Roberson, Treshawn uh, Henderson, there, there is talent there. I mean, Colton Dow has talent. Racy McMath has athletic talent. Uh, Jacob Copeland may have both, and he may just be underutilized at both at Maryland and what he was in. Uh, he came from Florida, if I'm not mistaken. So there, there are guys there that could turn into something. Um, but I think that the Titans pinning those hopes that those guys turn into something is a foolish strategy. Oh, yeah. I think it's terrible strategy because it's, I mean, it's basically like hoping that you hit a one in a million Powerball to pay your mortgage, you know? So um, it's it's a terrible strategy from a building a room standpoint, but you know, is it, is it impossible that it works out for them and that they're fine? Um, no, it's not like impossible. It's just highly unlikely. <laughs> and I don't know what they do about it. Right. Like, cause the thing, do you trade for Deandre Hopkins? Because like, sure. He makes them better. Um, but the, you know, that has such a whiff of Julio and, and depending on what you're giving up for him, you've only got, three non-seventh round draft picks currently in 24 as it stands right now. Are you going to give up a, one of those picks for, even if it's the fourth rounder, are you going to really go into next year's draft with just basically a first and second round pick and that's it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 only, just, I mean, outside of like T Higgins, you know, and those kinds of I players just, that you could trade for. The only guy that I would be interested in is dealing. like Mike Evans. Right. I mean, like, isn't Mike Evans yeah. really the only guy that you should truly be interested in if there's a reasonable asking price? I mean, Evans would be interesting to me on the similar scale of like Hopkins. I mean, they, they would be similar ish to me because I mean, Evans is a little bit younger, which helps. He's been more steadily productive, more recently productive. Um, but yeah, it, it would be, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to see where the wide receiver fix comes from for this team for this year. And look, it may just be that, look, they're like, uh, we hated the draft class. We hated the free agent class. 
And we're just going to wait till next year because fuck it. We're not winning anything this year. Anyways, like that is possibly what they're looking at. Um, and they're saying, all right, we'll go sign a, a wide receiver with our hundred million dollars of cap space next year and, and add them to Will Levis and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, we'll see. I, it is really baffling to me how they have just completely ignored wide receiver all off season, despite it being like a huge flashing red light of like, Hey, Hey, this is bad. We need help. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, like the- if you traded for Mike Evans, I mean, he has a $13 million base salary in 2023. And then all you got to do is just sign him to an extension. And that makes a total sense because he seems like the perfect kind of like Will Levis dependable target. You know, he can make the contested catches. He can go deep and all that kind of stuff. So he's the only guy outside of like, obviously the T Higgins and all those kind of guys. But like, if you're telling me between Mike Evans, and DeAndre Hopkins, I got trade for one of them. I'm training for Mike Evans, not 10 times out of 10. There's nothing about DeAndre yeah. Hopkins that I want to touch when you talk about money and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, Mike, this off this offseason is going to be stressful. It already has been stressful, and it will continue to be stressful because we're going to have you know fake quarterback controversies. We're going to have uh, over-anal- over-analyzing offensive line starters, uh, you know, we're going to have the wide receivers that catch on fire that are awesome that don't do anything. It's just going to be one of those off And we haven't even talked about defense, which has its own concerns. Yeah. Go to go to stackinginbox.com for a free article today from Trey John Watkins talking about the quarterback concerns there. there we, we haven't even touched the defensive side of the ball. It's like all offense at this point. They've got no depth at any position on defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's definitely concerns everywhere, which is continues to be why I am pessimistic on this team's outlook for 2023, um, not having anything to do with, with the side I write for. Um, but it's, yeah, I will say preseason's going to be super fun because the Will Levis and Malik Willis stuff in preseason's going to be, um, I mean, it's going to be rife with like, hot takes and people getting crazy over you know really small sample size stuff but it that's going to be kind of fun that's going to be kind of fun that may be the preseason may actually be the best part of the 2023 titan season for me yeah i'm i'm with you okay well that will do it for us we we didn't go as long as we did but we went longer you know as we normally do but we went longer than last week beverage bluegrass beverages Hendersonville, Tennessee, been around for 70 years. Wait, since the 70s, not 70 years. Since the 70s, uh, join the in-crowd. Make sure that you uh, join the in-crowd because you're going to get, like, first dib on some really awesome contests that you have to be. Great group. There's sinkers in East Nashville. There's bluegrass beverages out here in Hendersonville. So make sure that you go and spend some money over there. Um, That will do it for us. Stackinginbox.com, podcastki.com. Make sure to go and subscribe to both those websites for our written content. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. This has been Football and Other F Words, and you have just been effed. <laughs>